Hello and welcome to Mike Martin Asks. Again, I have a very, very special guest for us this week. In fact, it's actually, I've just realized, the first female guest that I've ever had on Mike Martin Asks. Um, And it took me quite a while to get her to come on. Uh, I asked her a while ago. Um, She's... Basically, so, so she, she works for clients. She does a lot of different things. She's had clients in TV. She's had clients in newspapers. She's generated over $7 million in revenue for her for her clients. One of the big things she's done, which I think is absolutely amazing, is in the last four years, she's published, authored 22 books. So she's published 22 books for other authors, not for herself. So she's not written them all. She's not a machine. Uh, passionate vegan. Uh, brilliant, absolute brilliant copywriter. In fact, when I first met her, I believe I was at an event in, I can't remember where the event was, but it was Declan Mack's event. And anyone who's been to an event, you're normally sat there talking to people and they're pointing out people you don't know in the room. And the way I was told about this girl is um, she's a fucking brilliant copywriter. Um, and that was that was kind of, and I think we spoke, and we spoke at the Shisha place after that. I was pretty drunk. It must have been over three years ago because I've not drank in two years. And she's also an international bestseller with the Freedom Master Plan, which if you look up to the top right-hand side when she comes on camera, you'll see that her book is on the shelf behind her. Metali Depresteo. I can, I can oh, never Mike, say it. You were doing so well, Mike. I you was. Well. <laughs> Deper case there, but don't bother with it. Just Mitali will do, honestly. <laughs> you know I can't read and I can't spell, so me trying to say a long word is... is... <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit bad. It's almost like, you know, with, with my kind... Well, I think Bengali names and um, Sri Lankan names, Nigerian names. Oh, my God, have you seen some of the Nigerian names? I just think that they are like, it's not discrimination against dyslexic people to have <laughs> names like this. Yeah. Shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> you know, one of the best fighters, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and I couldn't say his name for the first two years of him fighting, but oh my God. now I can say it. So <laughs> I guess I guess it's thinking. So tell us who you are. Tell us how you started. Obviously, you, you, you've done a lot to do with books. You've done a lot of, of different things. Um, you're an entrepreneur. How did you get into this? Um, God, how long have you got, Mike? I can go on for hours when it comes as to this. As so I'm going to try and give you the, the you know, the bridged version <laughs> so we're not here all night. Um, well, it was all really an accident. The whole thing, believe it or not, the last, gosh, 20, I would say that's 12, 12, 13 years has been an accident. It really, really has. Um, I'm a former journalist. So I studied media studies at the University of Manchester then I did my master's at the London School of Journalism. And then I started working as a journalist in earnest. Um, and, you know, fate wasn't with me. I basically started to come into my own just when this new strange thing called new media was coming on the scene. And a lot of newspaper, magazine editors were horrendously short-sighted. It's still something, you can probably hear it in my voice, still something I'm bitter about. But they were very short-sighted and they just had this attitude of no one's going to read newspapers and magazines anymore. There's this thing called the internet now and everyone's going to go on that. They were idiots because, yes, they were half right. People have moved on to the internet. But the need for good content, verified content, yep. written professionally, that is never going to change. It was just the medium that was changing. It was going from print to online 
And I genuinely believe the reason why we have so much fake news and so much crap at the moment is because a whole generation of journalists like me were just given their marching orders around about 2001, 2002. I lost my job and I couldn't get any other jobs because no other places were, were taking on reporters and journalists. So that was me washed up at the age of 25. I thought, great, 25, <laughs> washed up. Brilliant. Great career move, Mitali. I'm thinking I should have listened to my dad when he wanted me to study medicine and do the, the typical Indian girl thing, go and be a doctor. I was now thinking maybe I had a point. Maybe I should have been a doctor. So I ended up spending around about, gosh, 10, 11 years. I called them my wilderness years, just doing whatever, anything. I was a recruitment consultant for a while. Um, I did some um, financial planning stuff. Nothing that I was really interested in. And then in 2012, I believe it was, I have a phone call from a friend of mine and he's got an SEO agency and he's just catching up with me. We hadn't spoken in about a year. And then he starts telling me about this Google update. And I'm thinking, why the hell are you talking to me about Google updates? Do I look like the sort of person that's interested in technical stuff like this? And he said, no, Mitali, shut up. Listen to me. I'm telling you something good. I'm like, okay. He's like, there's been this Google update. It's called, I forget whether it was the penguin or the panda. There's all there's always an animal involved. I don't know why. Yep. But one of the updates. And this update has meant that now website owners need good content on their website. It's not enough just to have the right keywords in. And then you can just hire somebody from, you know, Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe and pay them like $10 for an article and that's it. They actually need people like you because now Google is looking at how long someone stays on the website, if they move around on the website, what they're clicking on. They're looking at more things than just how what keywords are in there. So that was my in. I was like, oh my God, I can start writing again. So slowly I built up a content writing business and I ended up, I was working for about 11 different business owners around the world You'll be you'll laugh at some of the businesses that I worked for, Mike. So um, my my most extreme, I worked for a, a law firm. I worked for an accountancy firm. They were you know boring but paid quite well. But the most out there was I at one stage I was working for a a gun store in Colorado. Never handled a gun in my entire life, but I can write very you know authoritatively about which guns to buy and even how to shoot people if they attack you and things like that. Never done it, I've never even physically touched a gun and I don't really want to. I'm a real pacifist and I don't believe in any of that. But yeah, so I was writing for this online gun store. And at the same time, I was writing for uh, a Love Honey affiliate. So while I was writing about guns, in the same week, I might be writing about cock rings as well. (laughs) Really interesting. And you definitely don't want to get those two things mixed up, is all I'm going to say. Um, So, yeah, it was very interesting writing all kinds of, you know, learning about about guns, learning about, you know, vibrators and cock rings and things like that. It's like, whoa, learning things I didn't expect to even learn. So it was fantastic. And then that moved into copywriting, which is when, you know, you kind of met me. Um, that was me just being jealous. I'd meet copywriters and they were making far more money than I yep. was. And I just thought, well, what is this strange thing called copywriting? And then I learned, well, right, this is when it's not just writing articles and blogs and indirect selling, it's direct selling. You know, you're writing landing pages and webinars, sales pages, and you're judged on 
return on investment. So how many clicks did you get or how many people signed up or how many people bought? And I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I basically started to follow a lot of copywriters, look at what they're doing, start to create my own style of copy. And I started to work as a copywriter. So that went on for about three or four years and you met me during that time. And then what ended up happening is I actually started to get people asking me, do you write books? I went, no, because I've never written them before. And I really didn't fancy them either. They just seemed like a lot of hard work. So, but then one of my clients, one of my copywriting clients said, hey, I'd like you to write my book for me. You've written loads of sales pages and a load of other things before. Please write my book for me. And I said, I've never done it before. So I don't know how to do this. And yeah, I'm worried that you're going to say, can you get a book done in three months or six months? And I can't even tell you. It's like, these were sales pages. If you came to me and asked me for a sales page, I can look at what you need me to do, look at your product or whatever it is that you're selling. And I can estimate and I can say, I think this will be a week's job or this will be a fortnight's job. A book, like, is it going to take me three months, six months, a year? I don't know how it's, how long it's going to take me. And he just said, well, tell you what, you take as long as you want. I don't, I'm not even going to give you a deadline. You just take as long as you need, but I want you to write my book for me. So I went, okay. 13 months later, I'm now about to kill myself over this book. <laughs> I, I can't stand it. I want to give this guy his money back. He's paid me 50% up front. I've spent all of his money, so I can't give him the money back. <laughs> so I'm now screwed. I think I'm going to have to carry on writing this goddamn book because I, 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 can't, I can't refund him. You know, I've spent all of his money. So I ended, it took me 18 months to write this book, and it was hell on earth. I absolutely hated it, but I managed to deliver it. It did really well for him. He's happy. Great. He then goes and tells loads of people about it and they now start tapping me up and saying, hey, can you write my book and start throwing loads of money at me? So I'm thinking, what can I do? <laughs> you know, when you're a business owner, you don't have a wage. You kind of have to, you go, okay, this is where the money is. This is what I need to do. So I start writing books. By the time I've written my seventh book, I finished it in four weeks. And that's wow. when the idea came out. I was like, I've gone from 17, 18 months to four weeks and the book that I wrote in four weeks was a far better quality so it wasn't even like time made it better and I was doing rush jobs now or anything like that the quality was even higher than the 18 month book and I just thought well if I showed people what I do if I give them the system that I've kind of created for myself then they can go and write their own books and then I can actually help more people because there's only so many books I'm willing to write myself in a year. Um, but if I show people how to write their own books, I'm working with 33 authors. Right this minute, I'm working with 33 authors. Wow. There is zero chance I'd be writing 33 books in one go. I wouldn't even be attempting two books in, in at the same time. It would be one book at a time. But I'm working with 33 authors right now. And I'm able to do that because I'm not writing their books. I'm just showing them my system. And they're writing their own books. So that's how, and it, like I said, the whole thing, the entire thing is all accidental. You know, my friend contacted me and telling me about this update, which then gave me the impetus to start content writing, then moving into copywriting, then accidentally moving into writing books as a ghostwriter. 
and then deciding that I want to become a book consultant and publisher. So it's really, I'd love to say it was a huge plan, but it wasn't. It was just me just going with whatever opportunity came and just winging it most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the entrepreneur's thing though, isn't it? He's wing it. It wing should it. be on. We should have it all yes. tattooed on us. Like, yeah, it's just like, if something comes along, it's like, just wing it. You'll get there. Or you won't. It's just next. So, so do, you reckon, do you reckon the copywriting was what helped you be able, because obviously I know a lot of people, I've, I've written a few books um, yes. and I have not, no structure at all. Um, but <laughs> Bless you. I think if if um if 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 I was a, an expert copywriter like you, the structure with the way you write copy from all the different angles, do you think that's what made it so that you could actually create books so quickly? Because you kind of was used to putting things into yeah. a framework. Yeah, absolutely. Because like uh, one thing I learned about about writing sales pages, for example, long form sales pages, is if you don't understand copywriting. And when I started, I didn't. You assume you write sales pages in the same way you read them, top to bottom. You don't. You actually, you know, and what I tend to do is, as a copywriter, is actually do the features and benefits first. So the bullet points. So I write that section of the sales page first. You know, the headline usually comes right at the end, you know, because that's usually, that is the most important bit of the sales page. You lose most people at the headline. If the headline isn't compelling, they're off. It doesn't matter if the rest of the sales page is brilliant. They've already disappeared and gone off elsewhere. So I would leave the headline right to the end. And yet that's the thing that people see first. So I really did understand this concept of not writing in a linear fashion. And it's the same thing with books. A lot of people assume that you write a book in the same way you read it. So you start from the beginning, you go through the middle and you get to the end. And that's not how you write a book. You know, you actually, the way I teach you to write a book is you don't write the introduction of the book. Just forget that. Don't write the summary. You write the chapters first, but even the chapters, you don't write the introduction of the chapter and the summary of the chapter. You write the middle of the chapter, the thing that you want to teach or you want to shed light on or whatever it is that you're doing. You just write that. Then once you've done that, you go back through the chapters and you top and tail with the introduction, the summary of each chapter. And then when you've done that, you then do the big top and tail, which is the introduction of the book and then the summary of the book. And when, when people, when I say it to you, most, most people go like, but why did you do it that way? And say, well, imagine trying to introduce something that doesn't exist. It's hard. Yeah. That's why you get writer's block. So why don't you just you go know? straight into <laughs> the middle, get that stuff out. And then it's so much easier to top and tail things once, the, once it's already there. And then when I explain it, it's like a light bulb moment goes off. It's like, oh, yeah, see, I get it. But right. yeah. I, I've written five books, right? So this is the last one I've written. Yeah. Uh, in a world full of sheep, fuck you, an entrepreneur. There's 17 chapters in it, right? And I'll tell you what I did is I got a Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I opened it and I started writing. <laughs> you just wrote it. That's- and I just kept going until the page was full. And then after I'd finished, after I'd done the 17 chapters of the thing, yeah, I then moved them into different. Uh, different Google Docs. <laughs> so I had 17 Google Docs. Uh, uh, so, so that's def- what you just said to me is absolutely because when you said that bit about what you want to teach first in the middle of the, of the chapter, then if I'd have done that bit first that I wanted to teach, then I could have come away and thought, right, now what stories fit better with this rather than because I just say it as, as, a, as a feel, yeah, as a feel. Yeah. It's like usually mine always start with a story. Every single chapter, pretty much every single chapter of mine starts with a story and a story that kind of makes you realize okay, this is why this makes sense because yeah. 
not from a technical perspective because I'm not technical. Um, but what you just as, as you were saying that, and I was thinking, holy shit, that's why. Do that for your sixth book. You know, take that. It, it's it's one of those things that once you understand it, it's like, oh, why didn't I do this before? It's so simple. It makes yep. sense. But until you know someone tells you or you figure it out, it you know you do. You, no one's telling you. You just kind of think, well, that's how you write it. You you start at the beginning. But it's very very difficult. That's why people find it easy to summarize because you're summarizing something that already exists. But to introduce something that doesn't exist, it's, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, I've never thought of it. In yeah. fact, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about 12 chapters into a book on copywriting. Um, and the title of the book is No One Gives a Shit About You, um, which is basically because every time I get anyone to write anything for me, is he's, he's like I've got a guy downstairs called Callum, and he's, he's, he's super well-educated. He's a brilliant writer. He does, he's an English teacher as well. Um, and... So the first time I got him to write a page of, of content for a website, I said, just write it and just just go through and write the whole story. And then when he, when, as soon as he'd finished writing the story, I, I then basically went in and said, right, now this is how this is what a sales page should be structured like. So now go, re, go and rearrange the whole page. So he's like, okay, so he's gone and rearranged it all because obviously normal writing doesn't make sense. And then I turned around and said, right, now nobody gives a shit about you. So now you have to go back and re-edit the whole page because nobody really cares about you. How is every single section? Of, so it took him like a week to write this this this, this one page of content, but I think he's learned a lot from it. Yeah. And I think it'll, it'll help him going forward rather than me just saying to him, you need to know this and you need to know this and then pushing it out. I, yeah. I absolutely love copywriting. I think I've read probably every book that's ever been written on copywriting. And I think it's because people with copywriting, you don't need to be able to write English. Yeah. You can yeah. write stupid words. You can put Blair in there and you can, you and that was what really brought me, and obviously it makes loads of money. Yeah. Well, copyright is <laughs> the thing. I mean, that's what I love about it. And it's really helped me with the books as well, because I remember, who was it? I think it was Dan Kennedy that said that, you know, you should, I remember what, you know, Dan Kennedy, you know, amazing copywriter. I remember, you know, him saying that even your deliverables should be written by copywriters. I remember thinking, what does he mean by that? Because, yep. you know, before that, I was just like, you, you hire copywriters for your money pages, you know, so your sales pages, your landing pages, your adverts, that sort of thing. And then you hire a cheaper content writer for the eBooks uh, you know, or the downloadable PDFs, the freebies that you give, maybe, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's how I worked. I've even worked with clients who would hire me. I'm the copywriter. And then hire someone cheaper than me to do all the deliverables. And Dan Kenny was, was always resolute. He's like, no, you never, you the same copywriter that's writing your sales pages and your landing pages and your adverts and all your money-making content, you should be using that same person or at least somebody on the same level, paying them yeah. the same amount, to write your deliverables. And his sort of thinking behind that is the selling needs to continue. There's this idea that you sell first and then you give people the thing. But the thing is to get repeat business and get real buy-in, even the thing that you're giving needs to carry on selling and say, you know, letting that person know you made a good Definitely. choice in buying this book or buying this program. Or And you see, you know, people who really understand that, you'll notice that, for example, I'll get into a program, yeah, one of many programs that I keep buying and I forget to actually go through. But every so often I'll be like, oh my God, I bought that program. I need to go and check it out. And I'll go and check it out. I'll know straight away if someone understands the concept that I've just mentioned. Because the first module, they're kind of almost reselling the fact that I've, they've sold me this thing. 
And people who don't get it, they'll be like, well, they're wasting time. That person's already bought it. So why are they yeah. reselling when they've already got that person's money? It's like, no, you need to make that person feel good because everyone feels buyer's remorse. Yes. So what by, by reselling why that person bought into that program, that service, that product, whatever it is you sold them, that's when you make people feel like, oh, this is really good. And now you're going to get the testimonials. You may even be able to upsell them things. That's where it comes from. I remember that stage with me. And that helps me when I help my clients write their books. Because these books, I always tell my clients, these books are signature books to market their business. They're yeah. not trying to be the next JK Rowling here. This isn't about selling millions and millions of copies of your book. I always say I'd much rather a thousand people read my book who are my target audience and who then hire me to be their consultant than having 10,000 or more people, but they're just the general public. They don't even own businesses. Why do they need me, you know? All your clients write business books. Yes. They're not, well, they're not, some of them write business books, but sometimes the subject isn't business. The subject is always their business. Does that make sense? So it's their, yeah. It's yeah, people business. with money go in it as well. If somebody's oh, writing, a th- when I was writing a thriller, I'd just sold my first house. <laughs> yeah. I'd moved back in with my mother at like 28, which is really <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, but I wasn't there long, but I decided I'm going to, I'm going to write a book. Uh, and I wrote a book about a serial killer, which was a thriller, but I couldn't have afforded at the time to, 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 to pay somebody 10, 12, 15, whatever it is, thousand to, 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 to help me with my book because yeah. I was writing a thriller. It had no benefit to me. Whereas what you're That's saying is... That's it. That's it. I always, I always tell my clients that there is two distinct book industries. There's the, you know, the traditional industry, or I call the book is, you know, the, the book is the business. That's what I call it. The book is the business. That means the yeah. book itself is the product that you're selling. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I'm not going to advise somebody not to go into that because there are some people have done really well i mean look at el james what i mean 50 shades of gray those i couldn't even get through halfway through that first book it was so terrible but she's a multi-millionaire now you know and she by the way she can't spell that didn't stop her you know (laughs) um but you know she's um she she makes millions and carries on continuing to to make millions so you can you know strike lucky but it is like winning the lottery you know you have to and you have to really think about it's a business in itself. Whereas when you write a book, the way I teach people to write a book, and I specifically work with business owners, um, I've got a couple of nonprofits who are working with me as well, um, and a couple of charities um, that want to write a book that gets some more donors and gets some more visibility and media attention. Um, with those kinds of books, the book itself isn't, the book is just a marketing tool for whatever you're already doing. So you're not really making money from the book. And I normally advocate, try and give your book away. I usually give my book away, you know, and when I'm at events or when I'm at speaking, I'm not really Mm. thinking about making a lot of money from my books themselves. It's more the fact that the book generates me clients. I make money from people hiring me as a consultant, going into one of my programs, whether it's like my high ticket coaching Oh, I've got a membership program for people who can't afford high ticket coaching. There's a monthly membership program where they get video step by step on how to plan and write and edit a book. That's where I'm making my money. I I think I've made in about, I think my book's been out. There's been two editions. 
my book's been out about two years, I want to say, just over two years. Um, 21, I think, I, was released from memory. I remember it coming out. Well, the first edition came out in March 2021, I think. And then the second edition came out in May last year. So it's been just over two years. Yep. Two years and two months, basically, um, since the first edition came out. If you add up all the sales I've made, I should say profits, as in mm-hmm. once Amazon have taken their cut and everything, I've made about $10,000. I mean, I can't live on $10,000 in nope. two years. That's, I mean, I know living Gateshead, but come on, even in Gateshead, that's not going to stretch that far. <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, Gateshead's one of the cheapest parts of the UK to live, but still it's not going to get you that far. But that's not where the money is. It's really, and I've actually donated that to charity. I now have a thing where you buy my book and it goes to an animal shelter anyway. So I'm not even bothered about making money from the book. What it is, is people read it. And either they want to write a book or they know somebody wants to write a book and they hand the book over. That's the other wonderful thing about books. It's the only piece of content I know that people readily hand over to other people. You know, they don't really do that with brochures and catalogs and things like that. But there's something about books. People will go, oh, I've got this great book. You should read it. I think you'll get happened? What happened with me and you talking backstage before we came on? Mm. The first thing I did within 30 seconds of us talking is I recommended... Ego is the enemy you to did. you. You recommend, and I said, yeah, "What was that book? Let me stick it on my Amazon yeah. now. Stick it in my cart." There's something you do. You don't do that even with sales pages. I mean, you and I might do that because we come from a copywriting background. But the average person, even an entrepreneur, doesn't yeah. swap sales pages with other entrepreneurs. They're not doing that, but they're no. doing that with books. Yeah, so there's they keep them a secret. Powerful. Sales pages. You find a good one. It's like I'm going to use that one. I'm not going to tell anyone about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you bookmark that, and you're like I'm definitely not telling people that one. Exactly. So it's it's a very different vibe. So that's what I'm doing. I've even had my book given to journalists, and I didn't even approach the journalist. Somebody else got it. They knew the journalist. I went, yeah, this this is this in, this lady's interesting. See if you can do something with that. You know, um, I've had podcast um, hosts reach out to me. Uh, and say, I've read your book. I'm like, oh, who the hell gave it to you? And they would tell me, I'm like, mm, I don't even remember that person. But somehow that book managed to get into this person's radar. And they're now contacting me saying, hey, come on my show. So it's that, that's where the money is. It's the visibility. It's, you know, getting clients, not the book itself. Um, I guess, yeah, yeah. Because like I write a lot of webinars um, mm-hmm. and I'll spend four weeks writing a webinar. Um, and then I have to get behind the microphone for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours a week for six months and do hundreds of presentations to turn it into cash. Whereas if I spend four weeks on a book, I can throw it onto Amazon, which is the biggest free marketing platform on the planet by nothing. There is nothing bigger out there. And, um, basically it will... So, so I've sold 512 books so far this month. I've just checked on my Amazon account then to see. But so, so if you think about that's 512 potential new clients um, from 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 a, from like four weeks. I mean, it takes me longer than four weeks because I was stupidly doing top to bottom. But the the, the other book, I'm going to break it up right away and and, and change that. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> I feel stupid now because I thought I break everything else down. Why why would I not do that? Yeah. Um, so if if obviously if if somebody was to try and get into this, 
what sort of what sort of walls do they what what's the usual brick wall that people run into or what was the biggest brick wall that you run into when trying to get into actually the writing side of the world i'll take you back shortly to um to to, to journalism because I, mm-hmm. I, i've got a couple of interesting questions about that but it's, if, if someone's actually wanting to get into this what what type of things are they going to run into what problems are they going to hit along the so way say getting into this like if they want to become a publisher and a consultant like me are you talking about people getting into writing a book writing a book writing a book okay yep. so well, the biggest thing is you will never write anything longer than a book unless you do a PhD, I guess. You know, it's okay, it's yeah. daunting. It's um, even like long-form sales pages. We call them long-form sales pages, but you're still talking about, what, 10,000 words? Well, pages, compared Max. to a book, yeah. it's tiny, and that's a long-form sales page. So it's that. It's um, There's that, It's the, you know. The, just the feeling like you're at the bottom of a mountain and then you have to reach the summit and you're just going flip and heck that summit is like above the clouds how do I even get there and it just overwhelms you um the other thing is imposter syndrome um there's something about books it's a double-edged sword um there's something about books that makes people kind of really take you seriously especially if it's done well and it's you know published professionally that makes people think, wow, you're, you're, and I play on that. I'm like, and I teach my clients to play on that. It's sort of like, yeah. I always say a book is kind of like a shortcut. You know, you can spend Definitely. many years trying to prove your authority on a subject, or you can just write a good book on it. And people yeah. just assume that you you know what you're talking about. You know, and I think um, the more we have these online gurus, I'm sure you've met quite a few of them. <laughs> the more of these online gurus who are just sort of yeah. like look at me in my shiny lamborghini the more people just turn away and go like ah oh. and the more they actually respect authors you know because yeah. the online world is getting so crowded there's so much content out there there's no way you can consume all of that content and the fact that you've written a book and especially a physical book i always recommend to all of my clients never ever ever just publish on kindle Publish on Kindle, you need that for reach. Yep. But you need a physical version of your book as well because subconsciously people don't treat you as a serious author if all you have is electronic books because everyone has electronic books nowadays. You need like a physical book as well next to the electronic book. Um, so, yeah, it's that can be – so it's a good thing. The fact that if you write, if you write a book, you are seen seriously – but it's also a double-edged sword in that people sometimes... I've met some people, Mike, who are really accomplished people. And then I have to kind of coach them through imposter syndrome during... And I, when I when right. I started doing this way back in... It was 2019, just before the pandemic hit, and I started to move into um, this instead of copywriting. Um, I genuinely didn't think part of my role would be coaching people through imposter syndrome. I thought my role would be, well, I coach them into planning and writing their books. That's my role. And now I've realized that nearly every single client I've had, to a lesser or a greater degree, um, they've at some point, whether it's at the beginning or somewhere down the track, they suddenly get a crisis of confidence and they start to think, oh, God, I'm not really good enough. I even had one gentleman say, no, I think I'll just put it on the back burner because I just want to – he was doing some sort of doctorate or something. And he was like, I'm just going to finish that. I was like, what, why? Like, why do you want to finish this 
this, you know, this so, qualification. And subconsciously, he was like, if I get this qualification, then he would be good enough to be an author. And like being an author is not like being a doctor. It's not like you have to be, you know, approved by your peers before you start cutting people up and stuff like that. You know, there's no law saying you have to have, you know, a PhD or a master's or anything to, to write a book, you know. So I had to coach him through that. It was just a huge bout of imposter syndrome. And he just felt that, you know, he wasn't good enough yet. And I have to coach people through that. It's like they just think they need to get that one more qualification or they just need two years more experience in their business or they something they always create something yeah. in their head so people don't feel like they're qualified enough to yet write a book even though people that are doing like phds and things like that that, that for, for, from a perspective of a book if you think about it if if people don't think that they're like so let's say I, i've wrote a book on whatever i've wrote a book on right and then i meet somebody who's got a phd in that subject they're going to look at me as the authority in the subject even though they've got the phd because I've written the book. That's how people You've feel about it, isn't it. You've just said it. That's actually, you should read my book, Mike. That's actually in my book. I talk about that. <laughs> I, I talk about the sort of like, I, I don't know if you're aware, but the, the word author is inside the word authority. And that's not a coincidence. It comes from the same French word, auteur, which means somebody of wisdom, like somebody to listen to. And so it's the same thing. So, automatically if you're an author you are given authority you're given credibility the assumption is you know what you're talking about so that's what you're leveraging when you become an author but yeah that is a, it's a barrier because some and i always tell people stop worrying about it and they worry about stupid things like grammar and spelling and and i'm like there's editors for that you know yeah. that's like me not that's that's as 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 silly as me not being a book publisher and consultant because I'm not a technical person. I don't know how to set up a website. I don't know how to set up a website. I paid someone to do that. That's what you do. You pay, the things that you're not good at, you pay somebody else to do that. Why are you worrying about grammar and spelling uh, and you know your vocabulary when there's wonderful editors and that's what they do day in day out. Just pay them to make your content shine. Well, all you have to do is just get your knowledge out. So That's it. You've been just get your knowledge you've been, out. You've been successful online for over 10 years and you don't know how to build a website. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> I probably could. It's one of those things. So, you know, something else I learned, Mike, um, one of these things that, you know, I'm, I'm a thinker. You can tell I'm a bit of a thinker. But um, you've, you've heard about the 10,000 hours thing, you know, that if yep. you do something for 10,000 hours, you will be an expert at it. So, you know, yes. you you may take to some things, maybe sort of born into some things, like some things come to you more naturally, other things don't come to you all that naturally. But it doesn't even matter if you pick the most unnatural thing that you think you will hate. If you do it for 10,000 hours straight, you will be an expert on it. And that was, I remember, you know, hearing that there's a book that's in a book. I'm sure there's a, that was in a book somewhere. Oh, it's in loads of books, he, Sorry? It's in loads of books. There's there's tons of people quote it in books. Quoting, yeah, I'm just trying to think where did it come from originally? Was it somebody wrote a book or I don't know. But anyway, it's been it's been repurposed so many times. Loads of people have said ten thousand hours, you're an expert. And it just made me realise when we actually say we're not good at something, we're not. What we're actually saying is we can't be asked to learn something. 
That's what we're actually saying. Yeah. And that made me change my mindset and stop being that person that says, oh, I'm not good at this. Or I'm not natural at this. I mean, I've already explained to you previously, I've got dyspraxia. So I have very, very terrible spatial awareness. Like if you saw me ice skating, I've been ice skating, by the way, for four years. If you saw me <laughs> ice skating, you'd be like, oh, this must be a third or fourth goal. That's what you'll be thinking. <laughs> you'll be thinking this is so much nice. Hitting the side. So, I'm just like, because I've got no spatial awareness, so I really, really, really struggle. But that made me realize that I was just making, you know, when I didn't used to do things like ice skating or rollerblading or, you know, I, and I would say like, but I'm not going to be good at those things anyway because I've got dyspraxia. It was an excuse. Just go and do what it, you, you know. So you got to ice? Are you got to ice skating no, now? I'm then? still not going to ice skating, <laughs> but I'm not going to let it stop me. You know I, mean? I haven't clocked up ten thousand hours. That's the problem. I think I only, I think I only get to the rink about two or three times a month. So that's the problem. If I was there every day, I probably would be. You might do. But, I, I said it. I say it to my lad all the time. I always say to him, "It's ten thousand hours. You need to do ten thousand hours in anything." And 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 I've read it in a book somewhere. And 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 I always say to him, "You need to. You want to become good at it." So when he when he complains, oh, "I'm not good at that. I'm not good at this," it's like, mate. You've not put the time in. You need to put ten. And then he it. said to me, the, he said to me the other week. He says about karate. He's like, I want to become a black belt at karate, and he does karate five hours a week. And I was like, all right, well, let's say you do five, karate five hours a week. You do that fifty weeks a year. I was like, how, how many hours is that? Um, so he gave me the answer. He's really good at math. Um, and and then I've turned around and I said to him, right, so how many years do you have to do five hours a week? And 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 he said to me, forty years. And I was like, exactly. So if you want to become an expert at anything. If you do 20 hours a week, it's still going to take you 10 years to get where you want to be with it. So stop Absolutely. thinking you have to be the best at everything on day one and just That's it. focus I mean, on trying to do 20 hours a week. You're being horrible to yourself. You're doing a disservice yeah. to yourself. You're making yourself feel like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm stupid. And you start having this inner negative dialogue that's going on that's not serving you. And I've just realized that it was really, it was one of those moments where I just realized, ah, oh, so when I say, that I'm not good at something. What I'm actually saying is I can't be asked to learn. And there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, you own that and just say, I can't be asked to learn this thing. And if it's important to you, hire somebody else to do it if you can't be asked to learn. Or if it, if it's not important to you, just don't just do not do it. Just stop doing it and that's it. You know, and it's been one of the most liberating things in my life to actually just be go, instead of making myself feel, oh, I'm not good enough to do that or I'm not clever enough. I just now say, I can't be asked. I don't want to put <laughs> the hours into this. I'd rather put the hours into the, the things that I like doing. So I'm not going to do it. There you go. Yeah. You're one, you're one of the few people I know that, that obviously you're very passionate about uh, veganism and about not killing animals and not being cruel and, 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 and all stuff like that. And you're one of the few people I know that is, is very, you're very mixed with your passion and and you work so you kind of bring them both together and i think that's one of the things a lot of people miss in in in, yeah. in life is is it's like okay i'm gonna do this because i want to make shit loads of money and i'm gonna do and then you're still sad and you still think and then you're like right well i'll be happy when i'm making 20 grand a month and then as soon as you get to 20 grand a month they're like shit i'm still sad i'll be happy to making 100 grand a month and then it gets 100 grand a month and they're like shit i'm still sad and yeah. and what they, what they're doing wrong is they're chasing the the money they're not chasing the yeah. thing that makes them happy um and i've noticed with Absolutely. with a lot of what you do and a lot of the things, uh, one of the quotes I took from something I've seen. No, no, no. I've not. Oh yeah, business without blood sport. I seen you on something from that. Oh yeah, I was at the houses of Parliament. They let me in. Can you believe they let me in? <laughs> <laughs> at one stage, I was joking with the security guard, thinking, "I hope he sees it." It's like, "Am I the right color to come in?" Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
And he was laughing. You took it really well. But I was like, you know, my lot, you, you know, lot, some of them can't be trusted. <laughs> so he was just laughing. But yeah, I was um, with um, uh, the League Against Cruel Sports, um, which yep. is a charity that's been going for a, a few decades now. Um, and they campaign in getting rid of fox hunting, um, animal fighting. You know, it's, it's it still amazes me we're still having this conversation in 2023 that people still think this sort of thing is okay. Like, why would you not, set dogs against each other to fight? Why would you, like, you know, when people say, oh, but foxes are, you know, they, they can kill loads of livestock and stuff. There are other ways of, you know, controlling fox numbers. You don't have to dress up in some strange red suit and then, you know, make a day of it. And you'd, that's just really weird. Like, why would you do that? So, yeah, I was at the Houses of Parliament. And, yeah, I, I think you touched on something really important, Mike. I think I've met some people who are making a lot of money. I'm doing well, but I've met people who are making a lot more money than me. And one thing I've noticed is if it's all about the money, instead of getting more secure the more money you make, you actually, the opposite happens. I, yep. The person who's making 10000 a month is not as worried about dropping down to two because they've lived on two. Someone yep. who's on 20 has now got a bigger drop. Someone who's on 100 has now got an even bigger drop. And I've met people who are making a ton of money and they can't sleep. Their lives is just full of anxiety because they're worried about what if this goes wrong? What if that investment goes wrong? What if that business dies? What if I lose this client or this contract? And then I'm suddenly going to drop down to this earning, which still, by the way, is a shitload more than what, what the average person makes. But because of the drop, it affects yeah. and they're more anxious. And that's what happens when it's just about the money. By all means, go and make a lot of money, but make sure it's you're passionate about something. And that is something that sustains me because regardless of how much or how little money I'm making, I, I'm working with people who are genuinely making a difference in the world. You know, um, I do work with a lot of vegan and plant-based entrepreneurs, but not all of them are. I know that, you know, people show up in different ways. All I ask, you know, when someone wants to work with me is they're not doing, you know, I always say somebody must have done some great webinar back in 2016 that told every business owner they needed to create a mission so now you have all these missions and people are like i'm on a mission to do this and you're just thinking this is just a marketing thing it's not you're not on a mission to do anything apart from make money that's your yeah. mission but you see it on linkedin they have it on their little tagline i'm on a mission to do this or a mission to do that I, I, all i ask is people have a genuine mission they genuinely you know want to leave yeah. a legacy and do something good whether it's for the planet whether it's for animals whether it's for other human beings it doesn't really matter as long as you're, you're doing something and i tend to find those people are just not only do they have compassion they write better books because they've got great stories to tell uh, which makes my life a lot easier as a consultant yeah. so i'm just being lazy here um but also they're not anxious i've met so many anxious entrepreneurs who are making a lot of money and i truly believe if you follow just the money you think you're going to get more secure the more money you make. You get even more insecure the more money you make. Because the know drop, tons of the guys drop is higher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It gives it gives them more to stress out about. It gives them more. I, I say it to my staff here all the time. Um, I always say to my staff, nothing we do here matters. 
right? Don't stress yourself out. And if Martin, my business partner, could hear, because he's like the robot side of the business, he kind of, he 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 does all the stuff that I hate, like accounting and finance and perfect. And checks you the guys K- are ideal, K- then, aren't you? <laughs> yes, he does all the KPIs and things like that. And when he's talking yeah. to me, I'm like, fuck off, I'm playing, I'm having fun. But I I always <laughs> say to to my staff, nothing we do here is important. Um, in fact, I was talking to one of them this morning and I basically said, if you, if you just walk yourself down to the beach and you just have a look out at night at the size of it all and how unimportant we are, just a speck, we're just a speck of unimportant on, on a rock that just whizzes round and, and you should just enjoy it and have fun with it. Yeah. And I think that's what entrepreneurs do. I think at the beginning, an entrepreneur is someone that's like, I want my freedom. I want to be able to just do whatever I want. So I've got my own life. I've got my own love. I can do whatever I want. And then somewhere along the way, they lose it. And yeah. You don't, and and then all of a sudden it becomes about the money, and when yeah. that happens, the the, the fucked, the art basically the, the screwed because because then it's all about okay. Um, I remember my my, my big thing a uh, few years back was always trying to get to that hundred grand a month repeat income, um, and then thinking that that when I get there I'll be I'll be dead happy and I'll be dead this and I'll be super. And once we got there, it was like and and, and then the next day and I, and I remember saying to Martin and it's like. Yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't make a difference at all, does it? And it took me years to get there, absolute years. And then all of a sudden when we got there, it was like... It's an like anti-climax. I was the same, yeah. I come from a council estate, right? I mean, me making just like five grand a month was like rich, do you know what I mean? And yeah. then, I, I, then I got there and I was like, why do I not feel different? Why Why have I not? Why, why isn't there like, like loads of core skills coming in and just serenading me now? Why is, there, why is nothing happening here? Why is it, I just felt the same. It's just like, oh, just me again. And then real, you hit 10,000 a month. And again, I was like, so where's where's the fanfare? Where, and you realize that it, it unless you're actually doing something that you're passionate about, it, it, it doesn't matter. And for me, like seeing... My clients, one of my clients, um, Amanda, she's just been a few weeks ago, was featured in the Financial Times. I mean, that's massive to be in the Financial Times. As another lady, Sandra, um, she's in Toronto and Canada. And then she sent me a clip in January and she was on countrywide, not even just statewide. You know the size of Canada. It's a freaking huge country. She was on countrywide breakfast TV talking about her book. You know, and it's like, wow. it's it's seeing that and those ladies are making a huge difference. Like Amanda's book is all about empowering women to have What's different conversations. Sorry? What's it called, the book? It's called Dare to be Fair. You can find, there you go. There's a there's a recommendation. Dare to be Fair by Amanda Redman. Um, and that, I mean, she's got some great reviews. She had one newspaper say this should be recommend, this should be mandatory reading for every girl and woman over the age of 16. Um, and it's all about, she found out, she's a financial planner for many years, and she found out that the average woman in the UK retires with a pension value of a fifth of what a guy has. Oh. And then, I know, I fell off my seat when she told me that. I was like, I, I, I would have accepted half, but not a fifth. And then you I was like, accept no, half, but would you really? That's even, know, that's ridiculous. I was like, but what are you talking about? What are women, I know we're paid less. I know we're still getting paid you know, around 80, 85 pence to the pound, what what a guy gets for the same job. But that still doesn't correlate to a fifth of a pension bar. What's going on? And then she said, well, basically what happens is, first of all, women are paid less than men. But the real whammy, the real whammy is a woman then gets to a certain age. She then wants to have children with her partner. Her partner wants children as well. She goes off, has a child. She may or may not come back because the couple have decided, you know, 
if the guy's earning enough, then he, you know, they might decide it's good for the child to have a parent at home at least for four or five years, you know, while they while they go before they go to school. She may come back, but she may come back on a part-time basis. And what we have in this country is we have a law that says your business or your employer, I should say, um, has to match your contributions. Okay. Yeah. So if you're coming back part-time, your contributions are fewer. Less. So now their contributions are fewer over a lifetime. Now, this the thing is, what she, what she was explaining was, it, if you stay together with the person that you have children with, then it doesn't matter because the money's coming into one place anyway. So it doesn't matter if you've only got a fifth of your partner's pension, but you're going to share it together. That's the whole point of marriage, hopefully. You're sharing everything. The problem is what a lot of people are doing are having kids and then the Sweet kids enough. grow up and then they divorce because now they're moving into that second phase of their life and they don't work anymore. And what a lot of women are now doing is they're retiring into poverty all because they had kids that their partner wanted as well. So her book is all about how to have conversations with your employer to make sure that you're being paid the right amount, but also how to have conversations with your partner that you want to have children with and how this might play out if you don't stay together you know so it's a very very important book and she's now in the financial times and you know she's now you know keynote speaking around the uk i've got a funny feeling in the next couple of years amanda's going to start liaising with governments and helping them make you know new laws regarding safeguarding women's rights regarding their pensions and that sort of thing she's on your cv She's on my CV. She's she was one of my, she was one one of my first it. authors. She's in my first ten of authors, uh, ten authors that I publish. So that make that sustains me. You know what I mean? Making money yeah. is great. I love my money. Don't get me wrong. I like money, but yeah. knowing that she's making that kind of difference to women in the UK, educating them. You know, and I do believe in the next couple of years she'll actually be working with the government regarding getting the laws changed as well. That's going to have a huge direct positive impact on your daughter. You have a daughter. And not so long from now, she's going to be entering employment. And then a few years after that, she probably want kids of her own. She's going to be so much more protected than women are right now. And I have had a hand in that, you know? So like, yeah. that's what makes me feel like oh. that's what I'm doing it for. And the money is just, that's just a wonderful side effect of what I do. Yeah. Do you, do you know what you said? You're saying there as well. That just, it reminds me of something I did. So when I was setting up my office here, because um, we've got offices in Manchester, but when I was mm. setting up, not this office we're in now, but the one I'm, well, we're not both in it, but it, my, my office is downstairs with, with, with my team in there. Um, when we started setting up that office, I said to Martin, I said, I want to try something. I said, in, I believe that all the most talented people, okay, in, in, I'm not in a major city, right? I live in a place called Weymouth on the South Coast, right? So it's a small, probably 20, 30K population pocket. But I said to Martin, my business partner, I believe all the ta- most talented people in an area like this are standing at the school gates, right? Morning and night, right? So, and, 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 and everybody else in business is too short-sighted to see, right, 
the all the talent is stood there. And because society says you have to work nine till five, Monday to Friday, exactly. all these backward fucking businesses are like, well, we don't want part time. So when I opened that office downstairs, I basically said to Martin, I want it, I want you to let me try something. And I've started writing a book on it, believe it or not, right? And it's oh, called brilliant. the four hour, <laughs> it's called the four hour work day, right? But yeah. what I've got to do is I've got to make a success of it first so that I've got a, 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 a proper which I am doing. It's it's working brilliantly. So what I do is I set up and I said to everybody, you work 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. Monday to Friday. It's like that gives everybody an hour from school to, to get to work and it gives you an hour from work to get to nobody works full time. Not a single person. The only person that, that's in more hours that is me. And I, and yeah. I said, and, and you know what? The, the team we've got down there like is brilliant. It's absolutely And they're never going to leave you. Brilliant. They're going to be so loyal to you. And because you've given them real true work-life balance, that phrase is used far too often um, and yep. it's not true work-life balance, but that's what you're giving them. And yeah, I've always thought that. I've always, I've got three assistants, um, and they're all, um, they're all mothers. They all have children, and I, I'm just like, just fit the work around, you know, yep. just around fit the your work life. Around. Just do it, and I let them just manage themselves, and they love it. And I know that you know, if somebody wants to poach them from me, they're gonna have to literally probably more than double what I'm paying them to make it worth a while a little bit more they're just gonna be like no you know I like working for Mitali because she just treats me like a person it's not like you have to do it be in at this time I expect you to be working from those hours to those hours there's nothing like that you know um yeah it makes me sad because people don't see that that yeah I, I like that you know mothers and fathers especially I think if you've you know I don't have kids but whenever I meet anyone who's a parent there's this extra level of wisdom that they've got having this screaming brat in their lives and having to deal with that <laughs> there's just this extra level of resilience that they have that i respect and i can see how that would work well in any business and it's a shame that there's so many businesses don't recognize that mm. and don't see that well that that was kind of one of the things i said is, is obviously i'm a parent um i've got two two young kids um at the minute and i basically said and I've always said this while I've worked is it's, I, I want to be a father before I want to be a business owner and I want to be a father before I want to um, make money and all the rest of that stuff so what I try and do and it doesn't always work like it's it's seven o'clock at night now I'm here but my, my kids are at home in bed but I've had breakfast with them this morning drop them to school before I get into work I'll pick my son up every day from school we have a chat I take him to karate five hours a week and I do all this stuff because I've built a business that works around a family rather than building a family around a business where they come second yeah. because I don't honestly believe that any of this stuff matters. I do what we're doing now because I love chatting to people like you, people who are dead smart, who's done it, who's like, who's winging it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, because that's, that's, that's kind of what, what, how, how we get where we are. And and the, the, the team we've got downstairs is, yeah, and, and we're growing it now, but we're growing it on that basis. If somebody wants full time, we say no. We don't do full time. We do 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday to Friday. Then all the all the girls and guys, they know full well that they're never going to be asked to, oh, I need you to work late because it's like, if, if it's not done today, figure it out tomorrow. Don't yeah. worry about it. And I bet you get more productivity out of them. I think I, do, I refuse to believe I've done many nine to five jobs. I was not productive for eight hours of the day. I was probably only productive for about four hours a day. The, the other four hours I just pissed about because Chats that's what people. you do, you know? Yep. So Talking. you're probably getting the same amount of work um, productivity for them in four hours as you would do if you kept them for eight hours, you know, the typical work day. 
Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, I mean, one the, the team do get a lot done, but like one of them, uh, she's called Georgia. Is I always say to her, "You're like a, a human who's constantly on whiz." She literally, she, she, she. She does about three times the amount of work you could ask a normal human to do. I don't know how she does it. Um, and I'm constantly messaging her saying, can you just do this? Can you?" She's my, not productivity manager, but she's, I forgot what you call the word. I tried to say it to you earlier. It's yeah. like a productivity manager. And so she oversees what everybody else does, but she also kind of does a lot of stuff for me that kind of, without her I'd be screwed <laughs> yeah yeah She's well, I bet you, that's because it's amazing I mean I do this in my work life I, I would you know when I want to do a task I would look at it and be like this is a one-hour task and I put an alarm like a, an alarm clock on oh yeah and that makes me do it because yeah again something I read in a book I forget the exact say but something about every task that you do expands into the time that you have I may have said that slightly wrong but the point of that is, if you give yourself six hours to do something, it will take freaking six hours. If you yeah. tell yourself that this is something that you're going to do in one hour, you will get it done in one hour. Or if you can't get it done in one hour, then it physically wasn't possible to do in one hour anyway. And you can't beat yourself up about it. It's like, well, nobody would be able to do it. So I do that now. I will you know, block off time in my diary and say, I'll give myself an hour to write all my social media posts for this week. Because I know if I allow myself, I can spend the entire day just messing around and thinking, oh, maybe this would be better on LinkedIn or maybe this would be better on Twitter. And you can end up wasting your entire day yeah. just writing social media posts and you haven't actually done anything like speaking to clients, speaking to prospects, you know, actually doing any money-making activities. And then you wonder why you're not hitting your, your income goals at the end of the month or the end of the quarter, because that's what happens. So what you're Definitely. doing with your with your employees is very very clever. You're basically saying it's only four hours, so make it make it work, make it happen, make as much that can happen in those four hours as possible. And anything that can't make it in, I'm going to trust the fact that you just couldn't do it. Move it on to the next day. That's fine. And people, you know, people, it's always amazing what we can get out of ourselves when we say it's time limited. It's like you have to get yep. it done. Yeah, it's when you don't to... have that, then you just, you know, you just mess about. You just, you know, a notification comes up on Facebook or on Instagram. You're like, oh, I'll just go and check that before I come back. And it's, you may have only wasted five minutes, but all those five minutes add up. And then you spent a whole day doing one task, you know? So it's very clever used... what you're doing. And I wish more I used to did it. I used to do that, exactly what you said. The first thing I'd do in the morning when I got up is I'd get onto Facebook and what I'd do is I'd be checking notifications and then I'd end up swiping and swiping and then reading and reading and reading. And before I knew it, I'd done half an hour on that. And I was like, so I, I literally, I was like an addict. So I just deleted all my, all my social profiles are gone. Except I oh, think really? I've got... A tiktok account but that's not the one i do it's one where the shorts from the youtube channel go um oh. so i've never logged into it but yeah i deleted everything about two years ago i just thought you know what i'm often done with this I'm, I'm, i don't want it no more if any anyone who want to talk to i speak to them on skype hence i reached out to you to come on here on skype yeah. <laughs> because i don't i don't know uh, I, I just i'm an, an addict so i'll end up with like i'm, I'm nosy that's why i like doing this because i like chatting to people and finding out what people are doing and, and whereas i'm like oh what's this guy doing what's that person from school doing that's <laughs> And, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, did you know that such and such is dead? Because I'm getting older now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel like it. I tell you. <laughs> I feel as well. Um, so 
if if somebody starting out to be, wants to write a book, right? Because obviously that's where, where your strengths lie now. If if somebody mm. wants to write a book and they want to get started and they've got a book in them, you know they've got a book in them, and you was to give them one tip to get them going, what would it be? Right, the one tip that's oh, can I can I stretch it too? Can I can I be yeah, cheeky sure, yeah. and say two? Okay, the two tips. First of all, um, what I would say is you might think you've got a great. You maybe you maybe do have a great idea. But always, always find a way of checking with your target audience. Um, it's the same with business. You know, I've seen so many people build programs, services, products, and they didn't check to see whether it's something that really was needed in the first place. And you spend all this time and energy and money, and now no one wants to buy the thing that you've created. Especially course creation. Again, I think there's been there's been huge um, push over the last ten years from various software companies that you know want people to create courses on their platforms because then obviously they've got them hooked and then they have to pay monthly or annually or whatever for the upkeep and that's great you know courses are great i mean i've i've got a course courses are great but you've got to make sure the content of the course is something that your target audience wants to learn it's a real problem that they have in the real world and this pro- this problem can be solved by going on your your program, your course, your academy, whatever it is. So that's a number one thing. It's the same thing with a book. The same things apply, whether you're building a a course, whether you're building like an e-commerce platform and you're selling uh, physical products or drop shipping, or it doesn't matter what you're doing, you've got to know that whatever you're doing, your audience wants that thing that you're doing. So same thing with a book. Mark, you know, do some research, maybe poll your audience, if you've got an email list, I'll try to ask them what is their biggest issue that they have. Whatever it is that you do, find out what they want and work backwards from that when it comes to writing a book. Um, so that's the first um, bit of thing. And the second thing I would say is plan, plan, plan. One of the biggest issues I've found with authors is they are writing and planning at the same time because they don't know any different. So their idea of planning a book is, well, I know you don't even bother planning your book. You just go for it. But most people, you're just like, I'm going to start writing and that's it. Um, What most people do is they'll have a loose idea of what's, you know, they'll have chapters. They'll be like, okay, so chapter one's going to be about that. Chapter two is going to be about that. Chapter And off they go and they start writing. And then they wonder, because now, because they're still thinking, new ideas pop in. So they get to chapter three and this new idea comes in like, oh, that'd be really good in here. But now they've realized if they add this in, then they needed to say something in chapter one that they didn't say. So now they need to go back into chapter one, fit in that thing that they now need to say, but now they need to rewrite all the things around it to make that bit fit into the thing. And that's how it is. It's not like, you know, did you used to have stickle bricks when you were a kid? Do you remember stickle bricks? So these, I hope this wasn't something just in the Northeast. All the kids in the Northeast used to play with stickle bricks. They're basically like Lego but they're Lego for very, very young children. So whereas Lego, you have to make sure you put the right thing in the right place, otherwise it doesn't stick together. They have loads it's, of bits sticking out. That's it, stickle bricks. Yeah, I do remember yeah. them. And yeah. basically <laughs> they can stick anything to any stickle brick and you can make whatever the hell you want. You can make an absolute huge monster of a mess and it all sticks together. That's what you think a book is going to be like. It's like, oh, a new idea comes in. It'll just be like a stickle brick and I'll just stick it where I need it. No, it doesn't. You stick this thing in here. Now all of this bit around it needs rewriting. 
Okay, got you. Yes, you see what I mean? And, and that's how you get overwhelmed. You get lost in your book because you have new ideas that come in. Then you go, another idea that you had, it's like, oh, no, I don't actually want that in my book anymore. So then you remove that. But then you realize you can't just remove an idea because you probably refer to that idea later on in the book. So now I need to rewrite yeah. that section. And can you see how you just go, your mind just starts to explode now and you're going, oh, my God. What I recommend you do is get some mind uh, mapping software. My clients use a free one called mind42.com. It's just mind and then the numbers 42.com. And you can create massive, complex mind maps. My clients, um, I refuse, I stop them from even writing their book if I don't see at least 300 points on their mind map. Wow. Ideally, I would like 500. So what the idea is you think out your entire book, what's going to go in it, and even what images are going in, what infographics are going in, um, what quotes are going in. Everything goes on the mind map. Now we can strategically look at it. You almost have like a bird's eye view of your book. You can strategically look at it and you can now move things around and go, oh, this should be mentioned later. That needs to be earlier. And you can move things around. No overwhelm now because you've got a bird's eye view of the book. Then you start writing the thing. And then most of my clients get their first draft done in in a week because they're no longer thinking. The thinking is done. Now they're just looking at the mind map going, oh, I just need to talk about this. Then I need to talk about that. Then I need to talk about this. Oh, I need to add this image in there. Then I need to talk about that. They're just doing it and they just fire this book out. And they're amazed, like, I can't believe I wrote a book in a week. It's like, it's because you weren't writing a book before. You were thinking and writing at the same time. If yeah, you, if you think fit. about it, if I, if I gave you literally a blog post, for example, and I just said, Mike, I just want you to type this blog post out for me. How long will it take you? Like, say it's 2,000 words. Take your next to no time. You just type it out because you're not thinking. You're just being a... You're just being, a, you know, like a robot. The words are on the page and you're just copying it out. That's how writing should be. It should be almost like you're just copying word for word. It just comes out of you because you've already done the thinking yeah, yeah. beforehand. Because if you've put the structure together, you literally, it's like, it's like if you've got a chapter and you think, right, I want this, because like, that's one of the things you kind of want a chapter to be a certain number of, of words, don't you? But if you've kind of created a mind map off that specific chapter, you might have 15 questions in there that you've got to answer in your content. And then it's just a case of thinking, right, what stories makes my point for each of those questions? And, that, and, and you build up, you bang. build up the chapter. And that's what my clients do. They'll they'll have the, you know, they'll, they'll build it. their mind map and they'll have the first section of the mind map. So that's all the chapters. And then each chapter then breaks out and then they can put in, oh, that's where a good case study will be. This is a good sort of life story in there. Oh, this wonderful quote. I'm going to stick that in there because that's got to do with this. And they can be strategic and move things around at a later date. But once you've, I always say, do your thinking first. And then once you've done your thinking, my clients, by the way, they don't even write their books. They dictate their books. They use like software like Otter. Um, that's yep. Otter. There's other, there's other software. You, I like you, Otter. I've been using Otter. You told me about Otter AI when I, when I spoke to you. Um, no, it wasn't when I first met you, but last time we spoke, which was probably yeah. a year and a half ago, two years ago, you told me about Otter AI. Yeah. Um, and I've used it soon. I use that, but when I'm sat on a laptop, I use the one on Google Docs. There's actually one on there now where you can just talk. Yeah, it in yeah, it you can just get it to. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But the problem, the reason why people think they can't dictate is like, oh, then I'll get stuck. I'll be think. It's like, yeah, because you're thinking. That's why you get so. If there's ums and ahs and you're losing your train of thought, 
it's because you're thinking there should be no train of thought in the first place. You should, the train should have thought itself and gone, left the station now. It's it's already done. You've done the planning. Yeah. That's the level of planning. And I, I would urge you to do that. Anyone wants to write a book because it really is a game changer. When, and I, I now do that for everything, any long form content that I want, even a blog post, I'll just get Mind42 out and I'll just brainstorm it. And then I look at it and I'll sometimes look back and go, mm, actually, this should have been earlier. That should have been later. And, and I move it around. Once I've done, then I'll write the blog post and I can knock out a really good high quality blog post in about 15 minutes of that. Because I'm so literally, you, I've, I've done the thinking. I know the structure. You, is done. you stare at the actual mind map as you're dictating. So, so you yeah. know where you're going next and where you're exactly, taking Exactly. Exactly. I, I wish I could show you. I even had one guy, Luke, who's, um, who I don't know why he decided to do this. He printed his entire book mind map out and it actually went from a ceiling and he sent me a picture, it went from a ceiling all the way down to his floor, <laughs> this mind map that he printed out. But the wonderful thing was he was, and what he was doing was he had a highlighter and he was just highlighting the, what bits he's dictated. So he was like, I've done that, I've done that. And the other real huge benefit of this is a lot of people, when they're wanting to write a book, the big issue is I don't have the time. I've got a business. I've got chill in your case, I've got children. Where the hell do I find the time to write a book? And the reason why they don't find the time, again, they don't realize is because they're thinking and writing. So therefore you have to sit there and think, I need to give myself at least half a day where I can get into the zone of writing a book. Yeah. Whereas my clients, they literally have their mind map. And even if they've got 15 minutes to spare in between clients, they're on it and they're using those 15 minutes and just dictating that little bit next thing that they need to dictate. And then they go off it and then they go and deal with whatever they need to do in their business or they go and deal with their little child who's screaming at them or whatever. And then they put the child to sleep. They go back to the mind map. I've even had one lady tell me she was actually, she. <laughs> I don't know if this is too much for some of your listeners, Mike. She no, was nursing not. her baby and dictating at the same time. <laughs> she was just like, my baby needed feeding. <sighs> so she's nursing so her baby and then looking at my map and going, oh, well, while, while my baby's not crying because he's happy, drinking yep. his milk she she sat there dictating the next bit of a book because she's already done the thinking so she's not having to sit there and, and think of anything else she can just enjoy the moment with her child nursing a child at the same time be just dictating the next bit of a book you know and she was able to write a book while owning a business and a baby that she's nursing as well because of that methodology. So, yeah, I would say mine, you don't have to use Mind42 if you're using some other fancy software that has, I know there's like, you know, paid software where, you know, it's, you can put colors in and arrows and all that kind of fancy stuff. Use whatever you want, but mind map the book out and you'll be amazed how much easier it is to write your book. I'm going to do it. I'm actually, my Literally next book did. will be so much better because of this conversation today. Um, selfishly. I'm <laughs> no, I'm happy. I've got you on here and pitch your brain. Let me know how it, how it goes. But yeah, I mean, I learned this the hard way. I, you know, I, I, I said that, you know, that first book, it's funny looking back now, it's, I'm now grateful that I didn't have the money to give him back <laughs> what he paid me <laughs> because I would have never gone down the street. It was such a painful 18 months. It really was painful because I didn't know these things, you know, and I learned all of this through trial and error, the mind mapping, you know, the thinking before the writing, the dictating instead of the writing. I learned all this the hard way. So my goal is now why should other people 
spend years learning how to do it if I can just show them how to do it, you know? And that's kind of what my my membership program, my monthly membership, that's what it does. It just shows them step-by-step step how to research their book, how to plan it, how to write it, even how to edit it. I'm not a massive fan of that module, but I was forced into creating it. Uh, I, I'm a big believer that you shouldn't edit your own book. It's a bit like, it's a bit like expecting you to, you know, it's, I always say it's like a bit like if you have the ugliest baby on the planet, you're going <laughs> to think it's the most beautiful thing on the planet. It's your child. You're going to think it's the most gorgeous thing on the planet and everyone else is like, yeah. heck, oh my God. You see, and no one's going to tell you. No one's going to tell you. you ugly. And you're going to think your baby's stunning because it's your baby. It's the same thing with your book. Once you've planned and written it, you can't see the wood yeah. for the trees anymore. So I'm a big believer you should have another human being looking at it. <laughs> but I did sadly have so many people say, but I can't afford an editor. Can you please show me how to edit a book? So I ended up creating a module on how to do a full edit of the book as well. So it shows them everything. I guess the problem with editing is, right, you fill in all the gaps that you already know. Like, And if you get someone who you know in your family to do it and they know something about your life, they'll fill in the gaps because they know all about mm -hmm. you. So you kind of need to get someone who's completely... So yeah, is, is completely what? out of it. Yeah, you need someone who's completely got nothing to do with it, and then that way they can see the holes that you can't see. Yeah, that you're missing. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, I mean, you've got to again, you've got to go with what your audience are telling you. And I had enough people emailing me and messaging me and saying, "But I can't afford an editor. Can you please show yeah. me how to edit?" So there's a whole module there that shows you how to do a full structural edit, how to do copy editing how to do proofreading, um, how to use Grammarly. I do recommend using Grammarly, but there is an art. It's like with all AI, it's like, you know, at the moment, chat GPT, brilliant, but you got to understand how to prompt it well. You know, yeah. that, that saying garbage in, garbage out. If you're going to put garbage into it, don't then whinge about the fact that you're getting garbage out of it. You know, you've got to know how to use these tools correctly. Um, so that's all in there. Well, I, I mean, most of the people who, like you said earlier, you can't build a website, but you pay people to do it. Most people are going to want who most businesses need a book and they don't realize how much, yeah. how, I mean, when I wrote my first book, my first business book, I would just wrote it because I wanted to write it. But the amount of clients I've got off it and the That's amount of it. clients I get now every single month off that one thing is ridiculous. It's brilliant. So yeah. I would recommend to anybody writing a book. And if you don't want to just write a book, Natalie, wait there, Natalie, Depper Caser. Yeah, oh my God, that was so Fucking much got better. It. Look at you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it one day. No, but how do, you, how do people get hold of you? If people want to work with you, if people, want, if people are interested in writing a book and they just want to have a conversation mm -hmm. with you or they want to reach out to you, they want to look at your course and everything else, where do they go? If you tell us the links, my guys will put the link below the video when this goes live. Awesome. Um, well, my website is theveganpublisher.com. Um, if you're not vegan, don't worry. <laughs> I have to say that because some people, I've had some people go, I really want to work with you, but I'm not vegan. <laughs> I think you won't want to work with me. You're I'm a copywriter like, and you've just lost half your audience. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The vegan publishes me. I'm talking about me here. Do you know what I mean? This isn't about you. It's about me. So I know, I mean, I, I do work with a lot of vegans and plant-based people. But I mean, I also have people who are not vegan. I've got a lady at the moment who's, you know, she's a midwife, well, former midwife, now a life coach. And she was a midwife for 20 years. She actually cannot remember 
the number of women's lives and babies' lives she saved. So what am I going to tell this person? Oh, I'm sorry, you're not good enough to work with me because you're not vegan. <laughs> so you see, <laughs> well, you used to work. You used to work for a gun shop, so you'll <laughs> exactly, work with anyone. Exactly. It's like I take the moral high ground there. No, all I ask is that you are genuinely, you know, you do have a business that is making a difference. So, you know, someone like you, you're, you know, you're helping people create businesses that transform their lives, you know, to get themselves out of the, you know, the nine to five. And it is just modern day slavery. Let's be honest. That's what it is. So yep. as long as you genuinely believe that, because, you know, we've talked about this, you know, earlier on. There are a lot of people out there who pay a lot of lip service to helping, but they're not. It's all about making a ton of money. And I will be able to, if you're one of those people, trust me, you won't be able to pull the wool over my eyes. I will be able to sniff you out within two or three meetings that you're all about the money. All I ask is you can make a ton of money. That's absolutely fine. But you genuinely do believe in a mission to help people or animals or the planet, whatever it is that you're doing. As long as you're doing that, then, and you want to write a book, I want to hear from you. So with that disclaimer I'm... in place, <laughs> yep. so you can find me at theveganpublisher.com or find me on any social media with a ridiculous surname like mine, you'll find me. Trust me. I've Googled me and the only other Dapakeisters are my brothers and sisters. There's no yep. one else I've, on the planet. I've Googled your second name and you are the whole first page of Google. There we go. If I just I, type I'm in. It. Your, your first. So you and, literally cannot lose me. You will find me somewhere. You'll find me on social media. So just get in touch. As a great testimonial for you as well, my business partner, um, he actually um, has been trying to write a book for several years now. He came to you um and getting him started has been a kick up the ass but i know he's now he's now starting david Casser, yeah, most david, of my, most of my yeah, know him. i'm so pleased i'm so pleased yeah he he came to me gosh it was 2020 i think and then he just kind yep. of disappeared and i was like david when am i going to get this book done and finally he came back a, a few weeks ago and i've sent him off he's now in the research phase making sure that his book he i mean he's he's a bit of um He's a little bit of head, ahead, I would say, compared to most of my clients in that because of the nature of what he does and what you do, you you're, you guys are right at the, the brunt end of really understanding, you know, return on investment. You know what your audience wants from you because yeah. they wouldn't, you would, you, would, you would know straight away if they don't like something that you're doing. But just for our peace of mind, I've still sent him off to do some research and make sure that his book idea does resonate with his target audience. So that's what he's doing. But yeah, I'm very pleased for him and he's going to write a great book. I'm sure. Well, um, the vegan publisher.com guys, Mitali, thank you very, I was going to try a second name again then, but I'm not going to chance it. I'm just going to say Mitali. Thank you very, very much for coming on today. Uh, guys, the vegan publisher.com get over there, write yourself a book. It is brilliant. I've written five and I didn't even finish school. So you can do it. Thank you very much. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.